Cup is fast approaching, and we have former US MNT stars, my friends Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce, who will take you along for the preview as the US MNT look to once again get one over Mexico, who will come out victorious in CONCACAF's Gold Cup. This is our preview. Kiego Lasso begins right now. Thank you so much, Luis. Jimmy, what's going on, man? What is up? This is crazy, man. Oh, this is crazy. I feel like we're we we don't have any parents watching. There's no teacher here. You know, like not to say that Luis is keeping us in check, but let's be honest, Luis is keeping us in check. Now we get to be crazy. We're crazy. Yeah, you know what? I I bet he's jealous right now. I I know that he he handed he handed this off, and then he's thinking, man, I shouldn't have handed this off. (laughs) Uh, It's like when your parents leave. Leave you, yeah. leave you the house for you for the first time. They're going for the weekend. How's the how's the uh, phrase go when the when when the when the adults are gone, the kids will play or something like that? Something in there. Um, I think it's something something. I'm close to it, Jimmy. You, you're clo- you're, you're you very close, and I'm yeah. picking up what you're putting down, but I can't yeah. remember it word for word either. So uh, we're gonna have some fun. Ultimately, is yeah. what uh, the crux of your messaging is. Yeah, and for anyone who's still listening, we are doing a Gold Cup preview. <laughs> uh, you know, I know you come here for Luis, and you and you stay for the Jimmy, but I'm I'm here, Heath Pierce, with Jimmy Conrad, uh, K Golasso podcast, and we're gonna be talking about. Uh, the Gold Cup preview today. Uh, Jimmy, is, is there anything off the top of your head that uh, kind of rings a bell for you in the Gold Cup? How many Gold Cups did you play in? I played in two. One with you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I got a concussion, so yeah. I didn't play the last two games. And uh, I'll let you that's, decide yeah, if you want to say what happened. Hey, listen, we, hey, I, I will say it was, it was 0-0 at halftime, if that counts. <laughs> uh, we, we tied the first half. Uh, but we right. took a, we took a beating against uh, Mexico in the Gold Cup final. One of the worst actual days of uh, my personal career of knowing that the score will obviously tell a different story than what the game was like. But it sold out crowd at Giant Stadium in in, in New Jersey, and you know I wish I wish that you were playing with us because uh, it started to fall apart in the second half. <laughs> it did. And for, and, and for anybody who hasn't heard, uh, when we lost, this is 2009 Gold Cup final. It was like 3-0. I think it was 4-0. I think the final was 5-0. It was the, um, the final was 5-0. Yeah. I was up in the stands because I had a concussion. I was up high with John mm-hmm. Hackworth, like scouting, looking at different things to give insight yeah. to the coaching staff and the players. And it was 0-0 at half. But that 0-0, we were, we were never in control of that game at any point. And yes, it was 95% Mexican fans in the stands. It was sweltering heat. We didn't really stand too much of a chance once the game they had, got going. They had, they had just laid the pitch as well, by the way. So it was yeah, like a slow. weird, like the ball didn't bounce when it hit the ground. But anyways, no excuses. I, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I gave you plenty of excuses. I gave you plenty of them. I, I, will say, I will say this about the, which is a, a funny little story before we get into this preview, is we were down 4-0. And I believe it was Brian Ching or somebody else pulled us all in together after 4-0. Very rarely do you see a huddle at 4-0, you know? <laughs> and we huddled. And the, the talk was... Don't give up another goal. Just play with pride for the rest of the game. You know what we did? We gave up another goal, Jimmy. It, it didn't. It didn't end well. But you know, it was an incredible experience running into that. And and you know, we'll get to some of those uh, Gold Cup stories uh, that you and I both remember as we go through uh, each of the groups. And then and then we'll talk about some of the players to watch and and some of the countries to watch and any sort of surprising things that you um, that that you want to talk about. I will say. I will preface this by by the way. Unfortunately, so U.S. plays Haiti in the first game, and yeah, the, the, the 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 Haitian president was assassinated. Um, when? Uh, yesterday. What? In his home. What? Uh, what? Yeah, and it says that the uh, Brian Scaretta Scaretta um, tweeted it out this morning that they'll open up the Gold Cup camp, camp, campaign against Haiti, and there's a national tragedy as the Haitian president Jovenel Moise. Uh, was assassinated last night in his home. Can you so, even, can you play? Is that even, like, what do you yeah, do there? I, like if, yes. our, if our president got assassinated, I'm pretty sure everything was shut down for a little while. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, or maybe, maybe sports is a way to have sorry, a Sorry, Jimmy, by the way, I'm reading this now and it was, it was, uh, it was Tuesday that this happened. What? Uh, Where have yeah. I been? I'm down so, this bubble. I'm all I do is think about the beautiful game. I never... I got to get outside of my bubble sometimes. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's tragic. It's it's you know we've we've seen a lot with the Euros. We've seen a lot of this this crazy stuff of of, of circumstances and situations that are extremely difficult. And this is another one for Haiti, wow. who just got in, by the way, to to uh, the Gold Cup. And so huge national tragedy. 
um, but one that they're going to have to 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 deal with. Um, Jimmy, I don't know if you remember in 2009 when uh, we played Haiti and we actually I, had to score at the end and would have had to play, play against Mexico in the semifinal had, uh, I don't know if, I think maybe it was Stu Holden scored or who was it? Stu, Stu scored. Yeah. I was captain that game. And yeah. the worst thing when you're Humble captain. Brag. Humble brag. The worst thing as captain, huh? The worst thing about being the worst, captain. The worst thing about being the captain is when <laughs> your team is losing. So, so I could only imagine how Michael Bradley felt being the captain of us not qualifying for a World Cup. That must have hurt, but it probably still does. When you're losing and you're the captain, you take this added responsibility that maybe I should have said something different. I mean, you're thinking about this stuff in game. Like, how did how did I let it get to this point? Now, Haiti scored a couple crackers in that game, uh, including one bombasso from 40 yards out or something. A guy hit a, a bomb. Anyway, Stu Holden did score in the 93rd minute for us to, to draw two two. And uh, that was pretty exciting, but um, yeah, I, guess, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, it's, it's I guess the point. I guess the point I was trying to make with this is that you look on paper, you know, and Group B for the U.S., for example, and we'll, we'll get we'll start with Group A. But Group B, you have Martinique, USA, Haiti, and Canada, right? You think, mm-hmm. ah, you should be a, a cruise through, but that was a that was a day where there was a. It, it's difficult, right? Like it, it's it's you, you, sometimes you were playing in obscure stadiums where there wasn't a huge crowd. It didn't feel super home because playing so many games and and you the the opponents are not weak by any means you might be the u.s you might be mexico in your group but you know it's still tough to to, to get through and i, and I feel like managing we need a to, tournament we need yes we need to give some comparisons to other tournaments for me a team like haiti is like north macedonia they can beat you in world cup qualifying at home like they did against germany they can come and steal some points from you in a tournament like they've got some players that can win a game if you're not paying attention if you're if you're too casual, you know, so you can't, you can't, uh, you got to get to your, your top gear as soon as you possibly can and not give these smaller teams that belief that they can get a result. And if you give them a sniff or give them some chances, 15, 20, 30 minutes in, we've been in enough of these games, Heath, you can feel they're, they're like, Hey, maybe we can't beat these guys. And when that gets clicked on for the whole team, that's trouble because now you're fighting for every single ball in a way that maybe you weren't prior to where they're a little bit nervous and a little bit vulnerable to start a game. So this is goes for all the teams, not just the U.S. Mexico will go through it, Costa Rica, you know, all those, all the kind of favorites in each group will have to go and deal with this as they face some of the smaller nations. Yeah, and I did want to mention that uh, Qatar are in this uh, edition of of the Gold Cup. It's not unusual to have guest teams that aren't part of that uh, that confederation uh, play in this, and obviously Qatar, the the biggest struggle they're going to have hosting the next World Cup. Is competitive games, right? So this allows mm-hmm. them to be in a competitive environment or a tournament type environment because they're not going to have to qualify and go through those things that they need those in order to, you know, I know I was reading that they're actually worried about the player development and team development because everything is mostly going to be a friendly. So this is helping to sort of prep them for that because otherwise, you know, we're going to, US is going to go through World Cup qualifying. Everyone's going to go through World Cup qualifying that's sort of going to battle harden you to qualify and do well mm-hmm. in a World Cup. But if you don't have that, that can be a real struggle. And this is, I think, their only major, uh, I guess it would be their only major tournament uh, or, or tournament play before the World Cup. I just want to raise my hand and say Qatar is going to get their asses kicked no matter it's the Gold Cup or in the World Cup. Thank you for coming. They just don't have enough players that are in the biggest leagues around the world to, to be able to compete. Once the World Cup really kicks off, these guys have no chance. Uh, but... Uh, you know, it is what it is. But your point is really valid for 2026 because Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. automatically qualify for that World Cup. And getting those meaningful games that are not friendlies are going to be tough. And this is where the Gold Cup will be very important for those three nations for that one. Yeah. All right. So let's start with Group A. We've got Mexico, El Salvador, Curaçao, and Trinidad. Is there, like, just starting with, say, El Salvador, Curaçao, and Trinidad, is there is there anything that stands out to you um, from these teams uh, obviously, Curaçao is 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 a, is a nation that's trying to uh, figure out how to work with dual nationals and improve their 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 ability to qualify for a World Cup or be in contention. Again, if you look at 2026, if you're Curaçao or any of these other smaller nations in CONCACAF, you know that there's more spots available. You know that there's an opportunity. And so a lot of that development starts now. Is there anything from an El Salvador standpoint, Curaçao or Trinidad, that, that, that stands out to you? Well, Trinidad didn't qualify for the World Cup Ocho, right? The the last eight, they didn't qualify for that. So really this is their only meaningful competition over the next few years. 
not to say they would have qualified for the World Cup anyway, but they miss out on that opportunity to cut their teeth and to continue to develop their program. So the Soccer Warriors, as they're known, they're going to come with with something. You know, they're going to have a little bit of that that bite that I think they're going to have because there's a, somewhat of a desperation. They have a lot of good uh, MLS players. A lot of them play for the Columbus Crew, in particular Kevin Molino, Marcus Joseph, and uh, Judah Garcia. But uh, they're a mixed bag. Obviously, they knocked us out of the World Cup in 2018 qualifying. I don't really want to talk about it because then I go off on a super rant and I get all emotional. And, and so you, you have to you have to you have to respect them, I'd say. But mm-hmm. because they didn't qualify for the World Cup, you know, it just you just don't know which version of them are going to show up. With with Curacao, as you mentioned, these smaller nations have to figure out how do they hold on to their best players because a lot of them are dual nationals. But there is one player in particular on Curacao that I'd be paying attention to. And I think they have a good chance of potentially getting through this group because Trinidad is off the pace a little bit and El Salvador, same. You just don't know which how they're going to play on the day and, and if their, their top players are going to perform. But uh, the one player for Curacao, his name is Janino Bacuna. He's 23. He plays currently uh, for Huddersfield in the championship. And uh, he did play for the Dutch side, Groningen. He was actually born in Groningen. But his parents were uh, were born in Curacao, so he has elected to play for them. He's 23, scored twice in 10 appearances. He's good. He's a very good player. When you couple him, who probably has a lot to prove, I think when you get in these international competitions, and we see with the Euros too, we've seen some players kind of step up and perform and be like, oh, Patrick Schick, that guy's pretty good. Even though if you've been paying attention, you know that uh, he's been banging in goals around Europe for for quite a few seasons. So this is a good opportunity for some of these players to step up and cut their teeth and obviously take pride in wearing their national team shirt. So I would keep an eye on him in particular. And then for El Salvador, uh, the market value actually for Janino, I did some research, he's around five or six million. So if he ends up having a good tournament, he could be a nice little sneaky buy for, for any clubs that are looking to improve their midfield. And then for El Salvador, there was one player that I had down. Let me find him really quick. It is... Uh, uh, it's Darwin Seven. He he played, he plays for Houston Dynamo. Uh, he's got 63 caps. He's a defensive midfielder, 31 years old, but he is really the heartbeat of the team. So if he's having a good game and his leadership is really shining through, El Salvador is always going to be tough to to break down in a meaningful way. So this isn't going to be like straightforward for Mexico. They should roll roll through this group pretty easily. But for everybody else, you know, you need your top players to perform, and if they don't, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long night for you, a long group stage. Yeah, the the other two that I'd add from El Salvador, Alex Roldan, Christian Roldan's brother. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. That's it. That's an interesting one. It's 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 always interesting to see you know two brothers playing for for uh, different countries. You know, you mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. Um, the Boatangs did that with Germany and Ghana. Pogba's played uh, for 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 Guinea and and um, and France, obviously. So mm-hmm. it's always interesting and, and kind of cool to see just the world it, it just to me it feels uh like the world gets a little bit closer when brothers are playing for different countries and just shows you just the the seamless world that we live in um and also just the 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 multicultural identities that that people have if you look across our US national team there's so many multicultural players right. that that identify with a number of nations uh whether they were born there have family from there and whatever it's 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 pretty cool to see and then Eric Zavaleta um who is Greg Vanny's nephew uh, will be playing for for El Salvador as well. So I think that's another. I didn't know that. Hey, congrats to him. Oh, he, he was with us. Know, Eric. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chivas USA. Yeah. Rest um, in peace. And so yeah, he, he's another one. And so uh, you know, for this for this Mexico roster, Jimmy, is there anybody that that you're looking to to kind of stand out? Not necessarily a player, but do you expect a pretty uh, smooth ride? You know, all things going well in the other groups, you know, that both the U.S. and Mexico stay away from each other, that they they, they reach the final? Yeah, I think this is pretty one-sided for Mexico. They brought as close to an A-team as possible. You know, they're missing out on Guardado, who ended up having an injury, which I think might be for the best, just because it allows some younger players to maybe assume that leadership role and, and, and get some more experience. Rodolfo Pizarro is probably going to be out as well. And then because those two are out, you got Efrain Alvarez and Eric Sanchez who come in. And obviously they're two up and coming and exciting players for Mexico. So it should be pretty straightforward for them to get three straight wins, you know, and really be in control of this tournament from the get-go. The one omission is Chicharito because it cannot be for footballing reasons. 
it, it can only be personal. And I don't know what that is. And maybe as time passes, probably not anytime soon, but in a couple of years, maybe we'll get the truth as to why Chicharito isn't being called in because he is playing well for the Galaxy. And, and the only reason I say that is because if you're going to call an Alan Polito, who's done less for the Mexican national team and is currently carrying an injury and he's getting called in and not not scoring as many goals as Chicharito or being as influential for Sporting Kansas City, it just doesn't really make sense. Now, they're two somewhat different players. Polito's a little bit bigger uh, in terms of stature and physicality. So maybe there's some element of that that Tata could lean into if he's trying to explain his way out of not bringing in Chicharito. But I thought that one was a little interesting, especially given the track record that Chicharito has for the Mexican national team. The guy always shows up for more often than not in the biggest games. Yeah, I, I think that the issue that I that I think, you know, Tata Martino is a little militant in the way that he he does things, right? He It's his sort of way or or there's no way. And I think his whole thing, and I think he's made comments about it before, which is like either you're all in or you're all out. Like mm-hmm. we don't want you for a gold cup and then you decide, I want to focus on my club team. Like everyone right. sacrifices. And I, and I think honestly, the US went through this at a certain point too of guys not wanting to come in uh, around in that 2018 cycle of guys being like, I'm going to focus on the club. And then, you know, the travel and all these things was, was rough. And I, I, I remember that being uh, a prevalent issue. And I think that can be detrimental mm-hmm. knowing that, look, I, when, when I was playing in, 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 in Europe, I, I, sometimes it was a long flight, you know, right. there's a lot of time zones and a lot of jet lag and you're away from your family and all those things can be really hard and you can be homesick for a number of reasons. Um, and I know Chicharito has been through a lot coming off of last season where he only scored a couple of goals. I know he's going through, uh, some personal situations with his family. Um, and, and now, you know, back in form, I, I hope that there was some sort of conversation that's been had about, Hey, where are we, where do you stand Chicharito? Like, are you ready to come back in? Are you ready to be part of this? I will say that, yes, there's different elements and different coaches that have different styles and, and, some of them like it when you test them. Some of them like it when you not necessarily show attitude, but you, that you back yourself, that you have that confidence to go in and say, you know what? I do belong here. I do, I do have enough talent to, to play a big part in what happens with this team. So Mexico just played Nigeria. Let's keep it on Mexico for a sec. And this tune-up game here, they won 4-0. And I just looked, I saw the highlights and they looked very good. They scored in the second minute and were cruising pretty much from the get-go. Nigeria... Definitely not with their A team by any stretch of the imagination. And it showed they had no shots on goal and Mexico had 11. I just wanted to see, though, what their front three is. And they got uh, Funes More up up top, uh, Irving Lozano. Oh, Funes More, by the way, another guy who has a split national team. His brother plays Argentina. He he uh, could have played for us, too. Tecatito. I think he could play for Argentina. He could have played for potentially three countries. So Tecatito, Funes More, and Irving Lozano were their front three. And Funes More has been playing pretty well over the last, let's say, 18 months, two years in particular, and really picked up his game and scored a lot of goals in Liga MA and Keys. And then they have Herrera, they had Alvarez and Gutierrez right behind it. I just, they're solid. And if if Tata Martino, clearly based on the roster that he called in, means business. I mean, they, they are bringing the squad, and I think they're going to, to win this tournament. Whereas yeah, this- when we get into the U.S., obviously it's not going to look the same. But, but Jimmy, this goes back to the argument of of having a strong domestic league. I think Major League Soccer is strong, but there's always that desire to go somewhere else to go higher, right? Whereas a lot of Mexican players stay in Mexico or stay in the region, mm-hmm. and therefore their availability for um, Olympic qualifying and and Gold Cup and these types of things becomes a little bit more um, reasonable in in terms of of how you. Th- th- I guess what I'm saying is Liga MX clubs, just like Major League Soccer work well with the federation to make sure players are available for these types of tournaments where technically they may not need to be because it's not sanctioned in a way. And especially if they'd played in nations league, they could be potentially eliminated, but the clubs, you know, the league and, and, and uh, the national teams or the federation tend to, to work well together. So now you see this roster that's coming out saying like, no, no, we own the gold cup. (laughs) We are coming after the gold cup. And that is a very, it's a very different experience of a team than this U S squad, which has a lot of talent, but uh, again, this this is this is the the, the first gold cup or even um, official competition for a lot of these guys on the U.S. team. Yeah, um, so I, I, yeah. I look forward to diving into the, to the U.S. a little bit, but I just want to go back to Rogelio Funes More because I said the last couple of seasons. I mean, he's actually been killing it for a while. But he just got his first cap for the Mexican national team this year in 2021. 
since he joined Monterey in 2015, he scored 20 goals, 15 goals, 17 goals, 16 goals, 15 and 15. I mean, the guy has been super consistent. So it's actually quite surprising that it's taken him so long to get into the team. And maybe it's because he was, to, to your point about Tata Martino, maybe he, they just wanted him to, you have to commit to Mexico. You can't be holding out hope for Argentina or if you wanted to make a switch to the U.S. because he was born in Argentina, but played for the FC Dallas Academy uh, when he was a kid. So it's, you know, he could have maybe had that option too if he wanted to see that out. So, so there's a big opportunity for him in particular, right? To really put a stamp on things, especially 18 months outside of a, a, a from a World Cup. Yeah, it, it'll, it, it I look at this Mexico squad and, and automatically, and it doesn't take, uh, you know, super uh, research yeah. to realize that this team is by far the best uh, in terms of their experience, uh, the quality of the players, where they play at, the level that they play at, the experience they have in the national team at the club level um, within, within this competition. You know, what's interesting, and this will also obviously be a theme for the U.S., is that when I look at Mexico's roster, they don't have too many of their younger players that we saw in the Nations League, let's say, for instance, and they have the Olympics. They have the U23 team, for the most part, is getting prepared for the Olympics. So they don't call those players in. And it makes me wonder what Greg Berhalter would have done had we qualified for the Olympics, because then you really would have had to balance the team in a way. Because we have a lot of our you know, U23 guys that were yeah. in and around that pool that uh, would have been gone for that. So that really interesting. How, how, would you, how would you stack the importance of the summer of soccer for CONCACAF, right? You had Nations League. And I know there were some rules around Nations League and then playing in other competitions. And then you have Gold Cup. And then you have, uh, then you have uh, the Olympics. So should the U.S. have been in all of them? And you are U.S. soccer, right? You got your U.S. soccer visor on, which is, the, you know, which is what every official from U.S. soccer wears. And what, I mean, how do you rank those or prioritize those? Because you know, we saw, you remember back in 2007, played a Gold Cup, won a Gold Cup, and then went down to... to Copa America, uh, Copa yeah, America mm -hmm. with a completely different squad against a, a with, no preparation, with relatively no preparation, no yeah. preparation. It was literally within three days. You're playing a game because it came off the back of that gold cup, complete change of a roster for the most part, except for, you know, two or three guys. And, and, and now you're playing against the A teams from South America who are, <laughs> who are prioritizing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tap dance into this just a little bit because we got to stay focused here because yeah. me and me and Heath love to tell stories, but the fact that in our group in 2007, we went down to Venezuela, we had to play Argentina first. We couldn't play Paraguay first or even Colombia first. We had to play goddamn Argentina first, you know, with Raquel May and Crespo and Zanetti and Messi. Yeah, and all of them. Cambiasso, <laughs> like, like Crest. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Oh, it was a stupid team, dude. Yeah. It was a stupid team. Tevez came off the bench. I remember him yeah. coming off the bench and I was dead tired. In the 75th minute, like, this is not fair. And he's taking me on 1v1. Every cool. time, by the way, I come off the bench, I think about the big stars that also have to come off the bench. And I go, see, it's not that bad. Every, everyone goes through it. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, anyway, back to, to the subject at hand. It would be tough, I think. I think the Nations League was a priority. I think it was almost a mandated priority, as you said, from CONCACAF. Like, we need the Nations League to start being a big deal. This is, this is you know, a, a tournament that we need to give more weight to. You can't bring a second squad to this. The Gold Cup was a good opportunity, and we'll get into it about the U.S. to try some of our younger players. I think you and I have you had used that Gold Cup experience in a meaningful way, and then, and then with regard to the Olympics, well, we haven't qualified for it for the last three, so this feels like super hypothetical. But I think you just would have had guys have to play back-to-back -back tournaments, even though they would have crossed over. Actually, you no, know, you wouldn't have been able to do it because the Olympics starts before the gold cup would end. So yeah. that would have been a really difficult challenge, I think, for Greg Berhalter to balance. And maybe some of those European guys would have had to stick around, but now they didn't have to. So it all kind of worked out. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, that's a, that's a, that's a, a little bit of a, a tangent, but I think it's important for, for the people listening to understand the complexities of, of how these things interact mm -hmm. with each other. Right. And it's not as easy to just say you should qualify for all these things and win all these things and we should be the best because look at our a team you know mm -hmm. like the eight they can only be in in so many places they're like superheroes you know you can't have you can't have somebody uh solving crime uh over here and then be somewhere else uh, at least i that i know of in terms of the superhero power so um i think it's important for people to understand the complexities of, of how you manage a summer and how you have to sort of sort of hedge your bets on a few things and i think uh, they hedged their bets on on Nations League and won that. Now we have a, a crop of players. Let's move on to Group B um, the, uh, from the U.S. team that I think have a, have a ton of potential. And I think a, a springboard. The, 
and again, for people that don't know, a gold cup or a tournament like this is a really important stepping stone for players because you get a run of games if you're doing well. If you are a starter in this tournament, you will get potentially seven games, uh, six games, right? And uh, that could mean a lot in terms of where you started and where you went in terms of your comfort, in terms of proving yourself. A couple of these guys from this group will certainly make the World Cup roster. Um, and, and, I, and I don't mean like Sebastian Legette and players like that that are more established. Other players can reestablish themselves and get a run of games that go, man, how have I left this guy out? Yeah, I wasn't really rating him that much in terms of my first 11 or first 18 for, for my team. Uh, because of how he's playing at his club, but he really stepped up in this tournament and now he, he's indispensable. Would you agree with that? Yes, because I lived it. So going into the 2005 Gold Cup, I was uncapped. I don't even know if I'd gotten on a bench at that point. I had gone down to a couple of World Cup qualifiers and Bruce had brought me in to kind of experience what it looks like. And me, I mean, I remember going down to Trinidad and Eddie Pope was preparing to play this World Cup qualifier and he's drinking pickle juice. And I was like, what the, what pickle juice, you know, but it retains the sodium a little bit and it helps you hydrate and stay hydrated for longer, right? These little, these little things, but, but, and you're in these really, and as you know, right, you go down to, to these countries and they're not very accommodating to the visiting team. And you're in these really tight things and you have a whole bunch of people that are you're like almost shoulder to shoulder. And it, it's, it was an incredible experience for me. We ended up winning two, one, I think Eddie Johnson scored a brace, but it, it was it was an incredible experience and I, and I gained from that. And then as I continued to prove and play well for my club, as well as anytime I got called in to go to these little mini camps for the qualifiers, I, I maybe sat on the bench, but never played. So I get named to the gold cup roster uncapped. Okay. And at this point I'm a late bloomer as everybody knows, when I'm going to roll the clip, if you guys are familiar with that. And I was 20, I was 28. So I get my first cap. We play against Cuba. And I start, I didn't know we, I didn't think I would start the first game. I thought they'd kind of roll with, with the A guys. And we had a good solid squad, but I started and we're down one zero. And to my P, my point earlier about, uh, about going down to, to Haiti when I was captain, I felt the same way. My first ever start, we're losing to Cuba. You know, what the hell is happening right now? It was Clint Dempsey's first ever cap too. So we were in Seattle, we come back and win. Clint ended up scoring. And uh, right before half, which helped, right? You take that pressure off before halftime. Then we kind of just our experience and, and uh, talent ultimately saw us through. And we're just a little bit fitter. And I think that made the difference. So I was happy to do that. But I ended up two days later, we played against Canada. And I was on the bench and Eddie Pope got hurt. So I played the last 45 minutes. And it was really important for me. And I bring this up because you're right. We are going to see some players that are going to fill a role for Greg Berhalter's team in the world cup. And I knew that I wasn't going to start on this team. If I went to a world cup, I wasn't going to be a, a out and out starter. I knew that I was going to have to be a role player, which meant I needed to come in and prove a lot of things on the field and off. Do I have a good attitude when I don't, when I don't play? Am I supportive of the teammates that are around me? Am I still being a benefit? Uh, how's my communication? Can you, can you put me in any situation on the field? Like say we got a lead with 10 minutes left to go. Can you trust me? Hey, somebody gets hurt at halftime. Can you come in with 45, if last 45 minutes and hold off Canada, even though you just played 90 plus minutes two days before and still be a guy we can trust. And I was the only player in that tournament that played all six games and we ended up winning it. So that was very important. Not only because of that opportunity that I took advantage of, but also because it gave me... Like if they're trying to compete, have me compete against somebody else, maybe we're on the bubble. They have this thing. Like we know what Jimmy looks like over 30 days of our tournament. And that's what the World Cup is. It's really hard to evaluate players when you have this FIFA window in the middle of a season, club season, and you have seven days. I remember going out there and you've done it too, where we're, we know we're on the bubble. So if you're one of those bubble guys and you're trying to win over the coach, you are balls to the wall at training. You want to prove that you're better than the European-based guys. You know, you want to just figure that out. And then everybody, I get this a lot. The coach is like, hey, man, can you just, can you turn it down like three levels? Because you're out of goddamn control. But I was just so eager to prove that I deserve to be there and I could hang with those guys. But th so that's a really hard time and place to, to win the coaching staff over in those little short windows during a, during the season. But over the summer, over the 45 days, if you include the two weeks prior to the camp, it's a great opportunity. So that's a really long way of me saying that I'm living proof that there's going to be some players that are going to take advantage of this. It's just a matter of which ones are going to do it. So I'm very excited to see there are no, there are no wrong names. People are trying to nitpick this roster. This is an amazing roster because so many of these guys are going to have a great opportunity to, to win over Greg Berhalter in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise.
Yeah, that's well said. It's it's just a hugely uh, and again, the, even outside of that, the, the training windows and things like that, you just mm-hmm. have more of them, right? Uh, and you just have more FaceTime uh, with the squad. But let's talk about Canada and Group B. So Group B, um, you know, Canada obviously. So many quality players from Kyle Aaron to Jonathan David to obviously Alfonso Davies. And they've now reached the octagonal uh, in World Cup qualifying for the first time in, in, in a long time. And they are going through their own generational growth right now where they have a lot of players playing in big clubs. And and um, yeah, before you you really just had your your uh, Dwayne De Rosario and, and uh, Atiba Hutchinson and, and a couple others. Now you've got a, a deeper squad and a little bit more of a vision and a plan uh, that I think aligns with one, the Canadian Premier League, two, Major League Soccer, the growth of all these things. And then obviously you have your dual nationals as well that I think are contributing. But is there anybody from uh, the Canadian team that you're excited to watch? Of course, Alfonso Davies stands out. I just want to say overall, those so people have some context. Uh, this is the first time that Canada has advanced to this final round of World Cup qualifying since 1997. So that's a real big step for the program and should give them a lot of belief. Also, they've only qualified for one World Cup, and it was back in 86. They won the Gold Cup in 2000, so they had a little bit of a generation back in the day, but that has changed. Now it seems, to to Heath's point, and as evidence bears out, they have some really talented players. Alfonso Davies, he went – I mean, he's always been known as, as a top, top, top player, but I think Bayern Munich made some great business. I don't know how much was like 10, 15 million from, from Vancouver, and now he's worth – 70 80 million considered one of the best left backs in the world one of the best young players in the world so that's that's pretty good they also have kyle kyle Aaron. he was a top scorer at uh, besiktas this year as it won its domestic league so that's a big deal he'd be coming in with a lot of confidence a uh, junior hoylet has been a dependable player uh, in the english championship most recently with cardiff uh, unfortunately jonathan david who scored 13 goals for Lille as they won the liga title this season uh, he has a growing injury and apparently he's going to rest instead of playing in the gold cup that's a big loss for them because he that's led a huge loss he led the golden, he was a golden boot winner in two, the 2019 Gold Cup. So yeah. it's um it's it's really interesting to see how they're gonna balance the loss of Jonathan David in particular. But they did pick up uh Io Akinola, who did represent the US in a friendly, but decided to play for Canada instead. And he could have helped us, but I can understand why he decided to go to Canada. There's probably a little bit more yeah. opportunity there for him to get more games and more minutes. I, I, I'm bummed though, because you know, anytime we lose a good dual national that would have provided either depth or could start for us, you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a blow. But well, but we move as they say. Anyway, I think Canada will get out of this group. I think they'll be second behind us, and and I think that this is a good opportunity for them to continue to grow this group and their base, right, and get this experience. Even though I was given my own personal experience from an individual standpoint, collectively, this team needs to know how to how to cope with adversity, how to how to fight in big games, how to hold on to leads as they continue to get better, which is part of our evolution as a country as well. Hey, how do we start playing better than teams that we should be beating? You know, we had a tough time and I think this was part of our identity change. And I think we went through a little bit of that transition, Heath, when we were playing, we would always play to the level of our competition, but now we're getting much better at, Hey, we're so much better than these guys. Let's not give them a chance to stump on their throats in the beginning. And that's nice to see. And I'm happy that that transition is happening, but Canada is kind of mired in that a little bit where Sometimes they play to the level of their competition. They're still not really taking the game by the scruff of the neck and saying, we're in charge of this whole thing, and there's no way we're going to give you any chance. So we'll see which version of that is. But their, their manager, John Herzman, has been doing a good job of, of bringing these players along, and their talent continues to grow. So this is a big opportunity for them to get some, to get some good experience and then obviously hopefully make a deep run, and we'll see how they perform in the bigger games. Yeah, and then you've got your Jonathan Osorio, Mark Anthony K, guys like yeah, that that are, yeah. that are just solid, solid contributors with with good experience. That I think it's weird when you look at all those players and you and then you match them up against the the, the U.S. squad at this point. It's a pretty tight game um, at the moment at, at just these these rosters. Um, and it always made me wonder how Canada. When I played, I think I played against Canada only once, but the time that I did, it it it, it was it's a it's a tight game. It's mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. like Canada's never been way behind the U.S. or Mexico or anybody in CONCACAF. And the fact that they haven't made the final qualifying round since the 90s is 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 alarming to me. And it just seemed like there was a few pieces missing. And they seem to have those pieces now with more experienced players playing at high levels. And then obviously starting to have these breakout stars like a Jonathan David and 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 um, and Alfonso Davies. Mm-hmm. My, my whole thing is, wh- where does Alfonso Davies play in the Canada squad? What position... 
does he play that you best utilize him, right? He's considered one of the best fullbacks in the world now. Um, but not for his, not necessarily for his defensive prowess. I mean, he'll do, he'll do the work, yeah. but it's not because that's what he's known for. He's known for the transitioning and getting forward and creating numerical advantages but, out wide. So I'd put him in a wingback position, frankly. But even at a wingback, like this is, this is a guy that has so, like when you see him in the final third, right, for Bayern Munich in the Champions League, he is beating players regularly. So is wingback the best position that you use him for your national team? Or can he have a larger role? I'm not saying he's a 10 or, a, or even a central midfielder, but even when they played uh, Haiti to qualify for the, for the final round, I, I believe it was against Haiti. Mm -hmm. He was still coming from those deep positions. And I'm like, this feels like an underutilization um, of a player who's so good on the ball and, 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 and so good uh, in, in the attacking sense uh, that, that you've got him, that he's got to come from a deep position every time. I just feel like perhaps is that underutilized or, or, or is it a system thing? It's tough. It's tough. Cause you mentioned the players you mentioned, Osorio and Mark Anthony K kind of occupy that central area. And then you have Kyle Lahren and it would be Jonathan David, you know, so they mm -hmm. could maybe just put Kyle Lahren as the out and out nine and maybe push up Davies to be more of a winger and just play. Yeah. I mean, it looked like they played a back three in both games against Haiti, but that, I think that just puts I, I them guess in a that's a good sign. That's a good sign. If you if you're talking about Jonathan David and and Kyle Lahren um, as as your two strikers, that's a pretty good sign that your player, who's considered probably in the world eleven, um, is still a, a wingback or fullback. Unless you switch to a four three three um, and spread them out a little bit, uh, that's a, that's a that's a great shout. But yeah, I mean they they've got options. Yeah, yeah, they got options, and their depth is growing, and I think their confidence is growing. I mean they yeah. they they they've made some moves to make that happen, but now okay. You have all this. You have a little bit of momentum. What does that mean? And I think that's the big step for for individuals, and also when they're going through it in their career, and then also collectively as a team. So this is going to be a big, big moment for Canada to to continue to prove why they're an emerging nation and why they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, not only in the future but also in 2026 when they get to host. Yeah. All right, Jimmy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit outside of uh of the 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 scope of what we were trying to do here from a, from a rhythm standpoint. We're gonna jump to Group C and D, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about this USA squad. Got it. Um, so let's jump down to Group C: Costa Rica, Jamaica, uh, Suriname, and uh, Guadeloupe, uh, who also I think qualified on on just just uh, a couple days ago uh, to get into the, the the group stages of 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 the Gold Cup. Uh, in in this group, who do you see as your favorites? Um, have you, you know, do you have any other experiences having played against a, come some of the smaller Caribbean nations and, and, and the difficulties of that? Is there anybody like a Costa Rica or Jamaica that stands out to you? Jamaica is my sleeper team that I think could go run. Andre Blake always balls out in the gold cup. He <laughs> that's owns true, the gold that's cup. True. Um, and so I, I, I think that they could be, um, uh, a dangerous team as well. What yeah, are, we can, we can, we can whip through these ones pretty quick. I think they're all, at least the top teams in each of these groups are kind of in similar spots, which they're, for me, they're all kind of going through a phase of, hey, we have a lot of older players and our younger players haven't really done enough to kick them out just yet. I know the U.S. kind of went through that a few years ago mm -hmm. as well. But now, obviously, we have a straight youth movement going and, and I'm all for it. Costa Rica has actually never won a Gold Cup, though they did win the, the previous rendition of this called the CONCACAF Championship in 1963, 69, and 89. So how's that for fun facts? Mm -hmm. uh, their head coach, they just fired their guy right before the Gold Cup. And now Luis Fernando Suarez comes in. Now Suarez led Ecuador to the World Cup in 2006 and Honduras to Brazil in 2014. So he's got some experience, and I think that's a pretty good hire. But the point is, he doesn't know these players yet. Uh, the, the Ticos, 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 Costa Rica, will not have Kieler Navas. They will not have probably one of their top defenders in Christian Gamboa, who plays for Bochum in Germany. Uh, they won't have one of their top younger players, Manfred Ugalde, who plays at Twente in the Netherlands, 18-year-old. So this will be... Interesting for a lot of different reasons. They're missing a few of their top players, one of their top younger players. They've got a brand new coach. They still have enough quality and experience. And I thought they were a little unlucky in the Nations League. They lost both games and penalties, even to Mexico. So they've got something to them. The Ticos have always had something to them. I know you've played against them and, and they're going to be tough. And I expect them to win the group actually over Jamaica. And the reason I say over Jamaica is because Jamaica, who've been hustling to try to get as many players that have dual citizenship as possible, like Mikel Antonio from West Ham, he's not going to be in Mikel Antonio, which is unfortunate because I just thought, man, if they bring in all the guys that could play for Jamaica, they would be my sleeper team. So he's out. Uh, also not going Swansea City's Jamal Lowe is going to be out. Wofford's Andre Gray is probably not going to be there either. So that, that hurts them. 
But to your point, their captain, Andre Blake, is a stud in goal. They still got defender Liam Moore, who plays for Reading, uh, Blair Turgot. Uh, you know, they made their intermittent international debuts, but these guys are good players. You got Leon Bailey, plays for Bayer Leverkusen, excellent player. He's going to be the key man, I think, and uh, another another super talent. So Leon Bailey, by the way, had 15 goals, 10 assists across all competitions. So he's, he's good. One that obviously, he's good. You know, and they you got take, players you can all take over too. games, too, when he's, in, when, yeah. he's, when he's in that form. So. They got Michael Hector, who I like, plays at Fulham, you know, in Elvis Powell, you know, some players that have been in MLS for a long time, and, and um, they're going to be solid. The thing that I've always learned about Jamaica is you just kind of have to, if you can just be a little organized, there are times, and this actually goes for Costa Rica as well, now that I think about it, especially with a new coach. When they're getting tactics or trying to get everybody together, I always just felt just if you stay organized at some point, they're going to get frustrated with each other. And, and I guess this goes actually for all the, the, the smaller nations. And, and, but I see, I've seen it with Costa Rica. I've seen it with Honduras as well. And, and Jamaica, there is a point where when things aren't unlocking the way that they want, there's, they, it's almost like they get there a little bit quicker in terms of being frustrated because they know they should be doing better. And if you can kind of get them to that point, and this goes for, you know, if the U S can be patient, you don't always have to go and win the game in the first five minutes. And I don't know why I'm thinking from a U.S. perspective, but we'll call it because I played for them. But I would say that these are the instances when you know a team maybe doesn't have all their top players, when they don't have all these things, they got a new coach. If you can just kind of wait them out, at some point gaps are going to be open and those gaps can be exploited. And that's when you got to go and, and kind of strike and, and make it happen. So I just wonder. But in terms of talent, Jamaica has to be one of the most talented teams it's just a matter of whether they can get everybody on the same page. And we saw it with the Euros. Can the manager pick the best 11 that actually fit the team? We've seen some teams, even Spain, heading into the semifinals of the Euros. Did they play their best 11? Do they even know what their best 11 is? And so I, I could see it kind of happening with, with a couple teams in this group, but most notably Costa Rica and Jamaica. Yeah, that's a, that's a great shot. It's also, you know, one of the things I wanted to point out before we jump to Group D is, interestingly, in the Gold Cup, and I remember this specifically, you go into certain, you go into your third game in the group stage, wondering where the other group is going to finish out, right? <laughs> true, true. So if you have somebody that's behind, if you are, if you are uh, Honduras or Panama, and you're looking to play, you know, Jamaica as your matchup because you've been watching them, you're like, well, I need to finish first in this last game. I need to win this last game, or. Do we want to do, you know, Jamaica is going to finish top of the group. We'd rather take them out in the next game. It's not that you play any sort of any difference, but, you know, you start to get into this tournament play, which is just very different um, in terms of how you establish yourself. Every team plays to win the group, but you start to look at what the matchups are, you know, in a, in a, in a disaster scenario where the U.S. finishes second or Mexico finishes sec second in their group. Like that is going to be really rough. Uh, for whoever finishes top their group, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not who, it's not who you want to be yeah, great uh, point. Fa facing off against. So not that you can control any of that, but one thing I wanted to, to, to mention anyways, moving on to group D Jimmy, Granada, Honduras, Panama, uh, Qatar, or Qatar. If you work for the U S government. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, for me, Granada is an interesting one. They have a lot of talent, uh, like a lot of smaller nations and sometimes when they have a lot of talent, a lot of the dual, you know, other countries come calling, Hey, can you play for us? You know, but there is yeah. one player, uh, Shannon Baptiste that, uh, super valuable. I think one of the most valuable players on, let's say transfer market or whatever that website is at 23 years of age, he got hurt, but he plays for Brentford and obviously they just got promoted to the premiership. He hurt his knee early on in the season. So he didn't play much was out for most of it prior to that, the season before where they got knocked out in the promotion playoffs, he played 13 or 14 games. So he's really right on the cusp of once he gets healthy of hopefully breaking into that team and uh, getting some really valuable Premier League experience. So I'm looking at him from Granada. Uh, you know, Honduras, they're so difficult. We saw them play in the Nations League. They're never an easy game. They maybe should have stole a result against us in the semifinals. They were very close to doing that. And, and the player, obviously, that stands out, and I think you know who I'm going to say, is uh, uh, Albert Elise. You know, he's mm -hmm. been around. He's 25 only, but I feel like he's been around for a long time. He has 10 goals and 42 appearances with Honduras. He's played for Olympia, uh, Monterrey, Houston Dynamo, and uh, he currently plays for Boa Vista in, in Portugal. And it's just good experience. And that guy, I thought, can be a game changer all by himself. 
So we'll see if he ends up hitting the back of the net. We know he's the type of player that will get himself in good spots, but will he have that final moment of composure to relax and hit the back of the net? I mean, we see it with top players all over the world. Timo Werner really stands out. Alvaro Morata <laughs> stands out. Where where these guys are so good at getting themselves in good spots, but then it's just that that little bit of class in that exact moment. He has it sometimes. There's some games I'm like, this guy's unplayable. I watch Elise play and they just they can't stop him because he can check back in and get it. And if you don't go with him, he's going to turn and run at you. And you're like, oh, well, shit, I'm in trouble here. Or if you go too tight, they play a ball over the top and he's going to roll you and he's going to be in. And you're like, oh, I remember I remember seeing it with Eddie Johnson when he was at this peak. Like the guy was unplayable and at least has that world-class talent. But it's just, he's got to be able to finish it. He does all those other little things right. And you're like, oh, he's so close. So if he can do that and find it in this tournament, then I think Honduras is going to be fine. They should get through the group anyway. But but if they want to take those big steps and actually get farther into the knockout rounds and and potentially beat a Mexico or a U.S. or Costa Rica or whoever, yeah, it, it, a lot of it's going to ride on his shoulders in particular. Yeah, and and also another thing about these these group plays is now you've got a team with Granada, which you know Honduras and Panama will be familiar with, but not super familiar. You've got these rotating squads of who's in, who's out because of the, just the complexities of, of this summer and where, uh, who, who, who's at their clubs, who's injured, who's fit, all the other things that go into it. And you've got Qatar, who is another team that you're going to be able to look at, but a completely different style of play than what you typically see in, in, in CONCACAF, right, with, with, with some, of the more, uh, some of the Latino countries um, and Hispanic countries in terms of their style of play and the rhythm at which they play on. So there's a lot of unknowns in there. I know you say Qatar is going to get battered, but um, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they, how they approach this tournament in terms of quality, how they stack up or match up against, against this, uh, this group. I will say though, one thing that you always get from, and, and we saw it with Costa Rica, we saw it with Honduras is they, they are willing to scrap and they are not going to give anybody anything. And there might be a few moments in a game, like you talked about, Jimmy, where you just stay disciplined mm-hmm, and you can, mm-hmm. you're going to get your one or two moments and you got to be able to finish them. But they, they definitely take a, a certain level of pride in these tournaments and anything um, regional related uh, to, to, to try to, to see themselves deep into a tournament. So it'll be interesting to see who gets out of this group as well and then who they end up having to face. Yeah. Um, For yeah. me, Group D is pretty wide open. Yeah, it's wide open. I think Granada could could get a couple results and shock some people. Honduras, I think, are the favorites. I think they'll go through. Panama, for me, you know, they qualified for the last World Cup. Obviously, very exciting. First time they've ever done that. And they're still relying on some very, very older players. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that's not a good sign of what the future looks like for your team. And And those guys have a lot of mileage on their bodies. And I think that a Granada, I don't see Qatar potentially doing it, but but Panama, and that's the thing, to your point, if Panama gets through maybe third place and all of a sudden the U.S. or Mexico have to play Panama in the next round, you're like, oh, my God, how did that? Why are we playing these guys in the quarterfinals, you know, or whatever it is? So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that all plays out. But I, I just I don't see Panama doing much in this tournament, but they could be tough, especially when they know they're the, the they've actually played better when they're the underdogs. Yeah. When, when they have to go out and be the favorites and take it to the game, I don't feel like they're as comfortable in that situation. But yeah, anyway, this is going to be a great tournament and I hope everybody tunes in to watch. Are we talking about the U.S. now? Or what's yeah, the story? yeah, and I'm all dressed listen, up. Listen, first of all, I just want to thank everybody who stayed with us through this long as we buried the lead of getting to the U.S. team because I know uh, I'm sure a lot of people are, are interested in this U.S. team. So, Jimmy, let's talk about this U.S. roster. So many... Uh, new faces and exciting faces. Obviously you have your Christian Roldan, who's not necessarily new Sebastian Legette, Paul Ariola is back in the team, but you also have some exciting ones. Jesse Zardes, by the way, uh, is back. And again, a known face, but in terms of uh, a lot of these new players from, from your uh, George Bello to Shaq Moore, I mean, they're not brand new, but they are sort of still establishing themselves within the national team. Gianluca Busio likely get his first caps. Uh, he's being linked with a, a number of transfers abroad at the moment and is really having a breakout year um, as he continues to build uh, his career. Uh, what stands out to you or what do you expect from the squad? You know, where do you think we're weak? Where do you think we're strong? And yeah, do you, do you, do you think we should be able to cruise? Yeah, I don't know about cruise. I think it's going to be very similar to what I said about Costa Rica and Jamaica. We have a new group of players that are playing together ultimately for the first time in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some frustration when things aren't working exactly right. And then it's going to be about managing that. And that's where the experience comes in. So that's where, you know, having a player like Walker Zimmerman, who's been around for a while, will help. 
Sebastian Legette, you know, having some leadership in the spine of the team that can help kind of calm the nerves and get it going for this young group. And obviously a group that has a lot to prove who definitely know that they could parlay a great tournament into potentially be considered for the World Cup team, which is uh, something, again, that I lived through and I already shared that experience. For me, though, there are a couple areas of the field that can be solidified or won outright. And I'm looking at Daryl DK as our number nine. If he does not get sold by Orlando, obviously he did very well for Barnsley when he went over to the championship. He's come back to Orlando right now because Barnsley didn't want to pay the, the fee or whatever, but maybe that can be worked out. But DK, definitely a hot name on the transfer market for a good price. He's already scored two goals in four games for Orlando since coming back. He, he, he looks excited. He looks motivated. Uh, no big surprise. He's a superhuman being. And I want to see how he does in this particular where, where a lot of is going to fall on his shoulders. My only issue with this team, I think, overall is we don't really have any out-and-out wingers, per se. Ariola may be the only one that, that's like an out-and-out winger. Everybody else, you're kind of hoping that, that they can play. I want to see Matthew Hoppy. I think that's a good one that I'd like to see. I know Jonathan Lewis was a big surprise, but I think that uh, Greg knows him and wants to give him us that last chance to see how he performs. Everywhere else, though... You know, I think Reggie Cannon can solidify his position and maybe be the right back for us, which could potentially push Serginho Dest on the left side uh, moving forward and World Cup qualifying. I wish I would have seen Anthony Robinson, honestly, from Fulham come in and really he has still hasn't owned that left back position. So I think there's some opportunity there from Sam Vines uh, in particular to take that. Miles Robinson seeing him in. So another center back, Walker Zimmerman getting that opportunity. Uh, everything else, Busio, I think there's like these little Christian rolled on. There's, there's Eric Williamson. There are guys that could maybe come in as that 21, 22, you know, spot on the World Cup team that, that could help us and make sure that they provide depth in case of an emergency or whatever it is. And then the goalkeeper position, I think this is a good opportunity for Matt Turner to, to really put a stamp on things to say, hey, I, I think I can compete for the number one job. So there are a lot of great narratives around this, but ultimately I know there's some nitpicking and people bitching about certain players in and certain players out. I think this is awesome. As someone who's lived it, uh, I've got nothing but positives to say about this roster. And I'm, I'm, I wish all the players the best of luck because this is such a huge opportunity. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to follow up on was, again, when you go back to what we talked about earlier on just the run of games. And I think, again, the players that stand out to me, and this isn't just a lazy take, are the ones that you said. Walker Zimmerman, I think the center back position is still open for contention. And if you're Walker, you look at that Nations League and that that fires you up to compete, right? You yep. come in right after you got called in. I think he played the second half um, in, in in Utah against Costa Rica. Um, and and you you come in with that fire of saying, I I'm I know I think I'm better than Mark McKenzie, or I think I'm better than and now you're gonna get a window probably to be able to prove that, right? And then if you look at uh, Miles Robinson, same sort of thing. You now have an opportunity to say, well, you know what? I want this spot. And, mm -hmm. and I know Greg Berhalter had made some comments about, you know, bringing him in to play him. That's a, that's a great sign. And you now have this growth curve. And we, we've seen this. Like, if you go back to, not to talk too much about our era, whether it was a Matt Beasler or somebody like that, they come in a little bit later, uh, yourself included. And then you come onto the scene and you're like, I'm going to grab this and I'm not going to let it go. Mm -hmm. And it takes a moment or it takes a tournament like this for you to build that confidence, to build that belief, and then be like, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one that that this coach looks at now and goes, I can't, there's no nothing I can do to leave this guy off this team or off this roster. And then Daryl DK, same thing. I agree with you. Uh, that string of games, this tournament, as far as they can go, I think will be dependent on the success he has. Uh, as well. I, I think he can lead this team. You saw from his very first cap, he's so hungry to score goals. He was so good in the championship in that style of play. It's a very specific style of play, but you know, again, you put the ball in the box enough times, he's going to get on the end of it. He's going to carry bodies. He's going to hold up play. He's going to do all those little things that you need to scrap and, and reminds me very much of, of the era of a, of a Brian Ching in the, in the past, even a Brian McBride, a Connor Casey, these types of guys that are big bodies, physical, can hold the ball, can draw fouls, can do all the things that you need to do and with regard to game management in big games, when you head away to CONCACAF and things like that, but also in games like this, being able to have to finish and clinically know mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. Hey, there might be long periods because this group has never played together. You know, where we're out of rhythm, the passes aren't connecting. So can you get that one chance finish it and be like, okay, now we can settle down and breathe. And, and, and that's what I think is going to come down to maybe it's a Matthew Hoppy, maybe it's an Areola, but I think Daryl DK is the one that I'm looking at in terms of, and, and Jesse Zardes, obviously, I'm not sure if they'll play with two up there, if they'll play with one, 
But, um, you know, I, I want to see Daryl DK get a, a run of games. So at least we can say, okay, he's there or he's not quite there yet. And maybe the next cycle is where he really comes into form. Yeah, there's two things I want to say before I finish with, and I'll just start with the ending first, just to mm-hmm. save you guys all the excitement and drama. It better be U.S. versus Mexico in the final August 1st in Las Vegas because I want to go to Las Vegas and I need a reason to do so. And you guys better make it happen. No pressure. Now, with regard to <laughs> the, the little insights, what is very difficult, and I think we're going to see who can manage it the best, is all these players, as I mentioned, and as you mentioned, this is a big opportunity. They know it. How do you go out there and not try too hard? There's a really delicate balance that you think you have to find as a player to, hey, I want to play simple, but I also want to prove why I should be on this team. Because you know that if you want to kind of level up and get Greg's attention, not only do you have to do the simple things perfect every time, but you also have to add something. What are you bringing to the table that's just a little bit different or or can can add a little spice to what he already has at his disposal? He, he already knows this is probably his first 14, 15, 16 guys, but that those are still areas to, to, I think, to win him over for those last five or six spots. So how do you do that? And if you try too hard, and we've seen it, we've seen it in national team camps when nobody's looking. We're not even talking about games. We're talking about these January camps where you're there for a month and you're grinding. How do you separate yourself there? And that's going to be really important. So one of the things that I did was that I knew that if I came to the national team and I'm a late bloomer, I didn't get my first cap till I was 28, right? So I had to come in and already have a, a certain level of confidence that I knew what I was doing. I'm not just some young punk that doesn't really know what's going on. I don't have that life experience yet. I have that life experience. I know what I have in front of me and I didn't want to lose it. So what I had to do, what I had to tell myself was I need to yell good information to the Claudio Reynas and Pablo Mastriani's and Chris Armis's and all these guys, Steve Trundolo, all these decorated players, Eddie Pope right next to me. I used to watch Eddie Pope growing up and now I'm playing next to him and I knew exactly how he was going to move in every situation because I studied his game. And that really helped me actually when I played next to him. But I had to get outside of myself because I was so nervous to, to talk to these guys, let alone yell at them and give them good information. But I knew that if I was going to make this team, I had to be a communicator, especially as a center back. I had to put guys in good spots to make plays. The problem is they don't trust you right away because they've never played with you before. Yeah, they've seen you and whatever it might be. But how do you earn that trust quickly? So what I did was I'd pull Pablo or Claudio or whoever off to the side, John O'Brien, right? These guys with so much experience and say, listen, I'm not giving you information just to give you information. I'm not a, a, a person who just talks to talk and just so I can get attention for that. I'm trying to make the game easier for you. And when I'm telling you to move left, it's probably to block a passing lane and, and or whatever it may be. And if, if, if I'm giving you that information, it's because I want you to do less running. And if we're all doing less running, we're having a bunch of fun out here. Mm-hmm. And when I break it down to them that simply, and tell them exactly where I'm coming from with my information, then they start to trust me more, especially let's say when I put them in a good spot and they cut out a pass and now we're transitioning the other way. And then that, that trust happens quick, but you have to create those relationships and you have to create that rapport and you have to be a leader in that way. And that was really hard for me to do Heath and everybody listening to get outside of myself and to really say, this is how I think I almost had to envision what I thought a national team center back would play. What does that person do? Like if you're captain of the national team, how do they act? How do they carry themselves? How do they treat other people? How do they do all this other stuff? And that's what these guys have to embody. Because if you want to represent our country at a World Cup, you have to figure out what that looks like, what you envision a player of that stature to, to be, and then almost work backwards to, okay, I'm going to act like this, and then I'm going to try to fake it until I make it, and hopefully I get there. Fortunately, it worked out for me, but a lot of these guys are going to have to step outside of their comfort zones to be proper leaders of a national team. It's one thing for your club. It's something different completely for your national team. And that's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge for some of these guys as they try to differentiate themselves from the rest. Because as you say with Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman in particular, those two guys are battling essentially for the same spot. I like that. Well said, Jimmy. And I'm going to take that as your closing thoughts for today. But everyone, just so you know, Jimmy and I will be with you guys throughout uh, the Gold Cup. Popping Dream comes true, time. everybody. Yeah. Dream comes true. You, know, you can't get rid of us. We have nothing uh, but words to say all day long. <laughs> um, but we'll save some uh, as the Gold Cup advances. And if you don't already, make sure you follow K Golasso Pod on social media. Leave a review five stars. Luis really goes hard and he gave us the keys to the castle uh, for this. So that's even, even more reason uh, to leave, to leave a nice review. And uh, we'll throw this one back to uh, Luis to close this one out, but we appreciate you guys having us and we'll see you guys throughout the tournament. Later. 
Hey everybody, I want to thank Heath Pierce, Jimmy Conrad for taking care of the Gold Cup preview. Please don't forget to vote for us on the People's Podcast Choice Awards. You can follow all the information on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod, as well as, of course, the description in Apple Podcasts and so much more. We're right there. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and CBS Sports and your CBS Sports app. Have a great, great rest of your day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.